We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. This is a horrendous defense. You know, now they're going to use, well, we never had our safety. So what? Everybody has a million injuries, let alone an above-average safety you're missing. I remember playing without five corners. It never looked like this. I think we were fifth in the league that year in defense. This guy's supposed to be a defensive guru. I heard everything, and I take it personal on this one. Everything I heard about was, well, this guy's a lot like a lot like myself, but without the, the bad part. Yeah, well... Some of the bad part you need because this team doesn't play with any any damn heart. It, I mean that that's the thing that's disappointing to me. And don't ever compare this guy to me, this Robert Sala to me, because statistically, one time they were like a top defense. All right, four. Out, here's one thing they're going to be familiar with: four out of five years, the 49ers were dead last in their division. So he's going to be dead last again. So he's used to that. So to me. I'm a little pissed off about it when when I hear that this guy, you know, his background's a lot, lot like yours. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Rex Ryan on ESPN Radio in New York talking about Robert Sala, head coach of the Going New in York on Jets. him. God. God. Wait. A little jealousy? Did, yeah. he, maybe he looks a little green hmm? with envy. Oh, it's so fucking corny. I. <laughs> oh, our week 10 AFC East roundup. The standings. The Buffalo Bills maintain their grip on the AFC East 
with their win over the Jets, and in the process are officially 50% of the way to sweeping the division for a second straight season. Meanwhile, the Patriots took the Browns to the woodshed, maybe permanently, and in the process maintained their position just a half game back of the division lead. Miami pulled off the shocker of the week and in the process pulled themselves out of the division's basement in their domination of the visiting Ravens. And then we have the New York Jets. The Jets came crashing back to earth in dramatic fashion as the Mike White-led offense that shocked the world just a couple weeks ago looked more like what we expected from the Jets when Zach Wilson was running the show, but with less danger of flash plays. It, It was just... Oh, I don't even think I can do it justice. So I'm going to leave that up to tonight's guest, as always, the reliable Scott Mason, here to talk about the Jets as they lost to the Bills 45-17. to Scott, have people in, in the New Jersey area recovered? Well, the Mike White era lasted about seven quarters before <laughs> people figured out what he is. Uh, I, I have to say, though, remember what we talked about last week on the Rock Pile Report podcast. I said... We know what Mike White did against the Bengals and why he was successful. And I have to imagine that McDermott and Fraser are going to look at the tape and say, let's keep him from doing this short stuff and see if he can beat us over the top and see what else he can do. And guess what? He couldn't do anything else because, listen, he was a fifth-round pick for a reason. (laughs) He's a guy who maybe might stick around in the NFL as a backup or something, but Look, he caught the Bengals off guard. He had a really nice game, but it wasn't a repeatable performance for a variety of reasons. I know Chris Sims pointed this out. Luke Grant, the Thunder from Down Under, our guy at playlikeajet.com, was all over this. People didn't want to hear it. Uh, I was all for, like, look, you know, let White play. Wilson's still hurt. If he catches lightning in a bottle and he keeps the momentum going, fine, whatever. But I think if Zach Wilson is healthy now, there, there's whatever debate there was is over because now you know what Mike White is. So it was funny because I was at the game with my father, as I usually am, and he turned to me at one point and said, you think they should throw Flacco in there? And I said, what's the point anymore? It was like, the Bills were up by like 35 points. I'm like, I mean, I guess. And then, you know, White got hurt. Flacco came in and threw the only touchdown pass of the day for the Jets anyway. So, uh, yeah, it was, listen, the Bills beat them from pillar to post. I mean, There were a lot of questionable coaching decisions. I don't need to tell you guys this, but all due respect to Javelin Gidry, who I like, and I think he's a solid slot corner. If you put him one-on-one against Stefan Diggs, that's not a matchup you're ever going to win. Stefan Diggs is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. You can't guard him with a slot corner who a year ago was an undrafted free agent and Mm. expect for the results to be anything less than what they were. And Stefan Diggs absolutely ate him alive, which... Look, it's not an indictment on Gidry. He just isn't good enough to handle Stefan Diggs. Most corners are not good enough well, to no. handle Stefan Diggs and, on their own. And I, and I feel like this game, this game more than most. I mean, first of all, I'm happy to hear that the quarterback controversy talk. I mean, I feel like it's a silver lining for Jets fans that they're never going to have to hear <laughs> about Mike White. <laughs> I, there's a part of me, because again, I'm a petty son of a bitch and this is what I do. I revel in other people's suffering. I. Uh, Mike White is probably, he'll never publicly admit it, but there's probably a part of him that will go home and kind of regret talking about how he thinks he should have been the number one overall pick. I, I think that <laughs> I think that, that statement will, like, it'll be, because I still recall, I, I'll tell you this, I still recall high school gym class, 
co-ed gym class, mind you. And we're playing dodgeball. Like that's a, that's how throwback with this this how far back this goes. Maybe I'm dating myself, but I remember running up to the line, catching a ball that a girl threw at me, and say, like making a joke about it to her, and then another girl just comes from the blind side and hits me in the face with one of those one of those red checkered rubber balls, and it made the ping sound. You, it's it's everybody can think about it and they just know it, right? The ping. When that ball hits you, and I had that waffle pattern on my face for probably two days. I will never forget the fact that I said something to that girl. Like, I can't take back that statement, and I wish I could. I wish I could take those words back. If I had a time machine and they said, hey, would you go back and stop Hitler? Nope. I'm going to go back to the moment in 10th grade gym class when I caught a ball and said something cross to a girl because it haunts me to this day. I wonder if Mike White is going to have even just a little bit of a shade of that. Like, just, oh, you said it, and then you immediately crash back down to earth. And those turnovers, they're indicative of something that you and I talked about during my appearance on your Play Like a Jet podcast this week. When you don't have downfield passing, top-notch secondaries will condense the field and attack the windows that you've gotten reliant on throwing into. And they were all over Mike White schematically. Now, considering everything that went wrong, were you guys pleased with the first half, considering how close the game seemed at halftime? <laughs> yeah, sort of. But that was one of those games where the Jets were relatively close, but they shouldn't have been. They weren't doing anything. You know that. You I, guys watched the I game. I felt it. It was I, really but, bad. Yeah, but in my head, I'm like, this is the game where we're going to let them hang around. Right. We're going to dick around we're, long enough. They're going to hang around. They're going to they're, they're gonna get an right. easy one. And then that interception happens, and you go, yeah. okay, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe today's not the yeah. day. Yeah. I mean, listen, what ultimately happened here is that the offense couldn't move the ball. And defensively, <laughs> and I'm sure you guys know what happened with Rex Ryan and Robert Sala, and we can get to that too if you want. But the defense was just abysmal. And the, the game planning, after the, the game, Robert Sala was asked about how the hell he could put Javelin Gidry one-on-one with Stefan Diggs. And he said, well, we, we've had trouble stopping the run, so we wanted to sell out to stop the run. Well, two things to that. Number one, as you and I spoke about on Play Like a Jet last week, the Bills are not really a very good running team. It's just not what they're good at. Uh, and they're arguably their best runner is Allen, who ironically didn't do much in this game. But the, the second thing, and this is most importantly, is, okay, fine, let's say that's your strategy going in. If you see what's happening and Stefan Diggs is just eating this guy alive and destroying your team single-handedly, you've got to make an adjustment, man. That's what being a head coach is all about. You can't just keep doing the same thing, watching it fail, and do nothing. You have to do something to try and stop it, and they never did. I mean, you you joked about Gabe Davis and how a lot of Bills fans couldn't understand his statistical regression. Well, guess what? Congratulations. <laughs> Gabe Davis looked like last year's Gabe Davis against the Jets in this game. And look, this was a terrible coaching performance by Salah. Ulbrich is looking worse and worse. It's funny because, like, the first few weeks – we talked a lot about how we expected the Jet defense to be really bad, but they overperformed, and now you're starting to see the cracks. And, look, let's not kid ourselves. We talked at length in the offseason, and I certainly have on play like a Jet, about how the Jets were relying on a lot of these 
young and experienced guys, guys who were late round picks. And you had to figure that was going to catch up to them. And it has. And the defense has been really, really bad the last few weeks. I mean, their, their stats, which to many had a couple of them, I think this is the most a team has given up in a four game stretch like second most since the AFL-NFL merger. And then uh, I forget there was another one that just blew my mind. But they, this has just been a terrible stretch well, for the so, defense. So back to the intro to the show, though. So let's talk about that for a second, because the intro to tonight's show, mm-hmm. we're talking about the Rex Ryan, talking about Robert Sella, and then you hear Sella's comments about, well, he knows where I am. First of all, Robert Sella can absolutely mm-hmm. take Rex Ryan in a fight. Like if, even if he does yeah. bring his dumpy brother with him, I think he could box the both of them up. Right. But right. but I think that some of his criticism, even though it's easy to kind of dismiss and say, well, it's Rex Ryan and he's a bloviator and that's what he does. Some of it's not yeah. that some of it might have some merit because he's talking from the position of, hey, I was a guy who got fired for being bad at fielding bad defenses as a head coach. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's He knows. He's walked that road. And he's watching Robert Sella do the same thing. Hey, you're a defensive head coach who is fielding one of the worst defenses in the NFL. Some of it might be by design. You know, we talked about it, how the Jets did kind of go young and inexperienced at cornerback. And I was a little surprised by that in the offseason. Mm-hmm. And early on, they mm-hmm. did overperform. Now they're starting to regress to the mean. But this is where you like to your point. Robert Sella says in his post game press conference, "Well, we tried to take away the run. Did you? Because it didn't work. We had one of our best, right, one of our right. most efficient running days of the year. Like that's almost more damage. Yeah. That you come out and if I'm a Jets fan, I would have felt better if I had heard the coach say, "Listen, we just we liked something about uh, the matchup on tape, even if it's a lie." I, we like something about the matchup on tape. Right. Gidry on Diggs. We thought something about Gidry's skill set. Would they match up? Well, and we were wrong. So we'll mm-hmm. fix it in the future, but it's right. not that big of a deal. To say that you were going to try to take away something from another team that you know that they're bad at, and then they actually right. look proficient, that's some damning right. stuff. And I think that that's where this Rex Ryan yeah. commentary kind of gets its legs from. Yeah, I think that's where why Salah seemed to be so upset by it and it got under his skin because realistically the answer Salas should have given is you know hey Rex is entitled to his opinion he gets paid to to talk and so you know I can't worry about him I got to focus on the team instead he basically challenged Rex Ryan to come fight him so that's that's something I, I think I tweeted this out I said nine games into his head coaching career with the Jets I didn't expect Robert Salas to be cha- challenging Rex Ryan to a steel cage match but Listen, life has its curveballs. <laughs> I think what, what Rex Ryan did here, it's one of those little of column A, little of column B kind of things, because two things can be true at once. Rex Ryan was really not a very good head coach, and you know that because he was up there in Buffalo after the Jets. If you read Collision Low Crossers, you can really get a, a very good feel for why he had so many deficiencies as a head coach. And people will point to the two AFC championship games, but you got to remember the talent that was on that team, the team that he took over in 09. Now, granted, he had a rookie quarterback, but that roster was probably headed for the Super Bowl in 08 before Brett Favre messed his shoulder up, and they lost, I think it was three of the last four or four of the last five, whatever it was. So Rex is a guy who talks, has a lot of bluster. 
and re- in reality, his his track record as a head coach is not very good, right? No. But that doesn't invalidate what he's saying about Salah here. And what he was saying is that the team was playing with no heart, with no fire. And it does. It seems like the last few weeks, I mean, the Bengals game as an obvious exception, they barely, they just look lifeless. And again, we know that they have a, a lot of young and experienced players, but at the same time, Sal is supposed to be this fiery guy who gets the max effort out of these guys, and he hasn't. One thing that Rex also said that was kind of overlooked is that, uh, and you sort of alluded to this at the beginning of the show, Drew, is that maybe Mike White falling on his face was the best thing that could happen for the Jets now because they can just put Zach Wilson in, not have to worry about any ridiculous quarterback controversies, let the kid grow and learn, and you know move on from there. But, yeah, I think clearly – even though Rex is is somebody who bloviates and obviously puffs his own reputation up way bigger than it really should be, he also had some legitimate points and it bothered Robert Sala. I get why it did, but he's got to learn to shake that off, man. Like you can't be talking like that. It, it, it just basically it makes you look insecure. It makes you look small and dare I say because it's the word of the day always on the rock power port petty and (laughs) I I don't think that that's a good look for him at this particular point in time now we'll see what happens there's obviously eight games left in this season but man the, the, the defense like when you're a guy whose calling card is that you're a defensive mastermind and the defense is this bad, and I understand all everything that's being said about the young, youth and inexperience on the defensive side of the ball. If they shouldn't be this bad, this lifeless, and frankly, I shouldn't be sitting here wondering why the hell Javelin Guidry was one-on-one the entire game with Stefan Diggs. I shouldn't be wondering why Gabe Davis finally had his breakout game of the season against the Jets. I shouldn't be wondering why, as you said, they sold out to stop the run of a team that isn't good at running and still couldn't stop the run. So, you know, that's not good. And and a lot of changes need to be made. A lot of adjustments need to be made. And look, you know, he's only nine games into his head coaching career, but there are already questions that are starting and he's young and we'll see what he ends up being. He look coaches struggle early on. So this is not a surprise, but, the way that they're struggling is the surprise. I don't think anybody expected the defense to be this bad, this pathetic, this lifeless. So we'll see what happens over the next eight games because, boy, I'll tell you, <laughs> you, 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 you generally don't think that a guy's job is going to be in jeopardy after the first year. I'm not talking about Salah, but Jeff Ulbricht, the defensive coordinator, if, if they have a few more of these, I mean, end of the year, he's gone. They can't keep a guy as a defensive coordinator, if the team is giving up 45 points a game, it's just not tenable. No, no, not at all. And honestly, for all the crap that you Jets fans have been through, you deserve better than that. So with that in mind, your two and a half point (laughs) underdogs to the Dolphins, do you agree or disagree with that spread for this upcoming weekend? I mean, how could you possibly disagree in terms of, I mean, listen, the Jets have been awful the last few weeks. Other than that win against Cincinnati, the defense is giving up record numbers of points. The Dolphins have actually looked improved. I don't see how you could argue against it. I think you can even make a, a, a decent case that the Dolphins should be slightly heavier 
favorites at this point, just based on the performance of the Jets the last few weeks. And right now, honestly, we don't even know for sure what the quarterback situation is going to be either because we haven't heard officially whether Zach Wilson is healthy enough to start or even if he is, if they want to put him back out there yet. So uh, there's a lot to be determined. But, yeah, I don't see how you could argue. A lot of people would say, I guess, oh, it's disrespect, but the Jets have earned that disrespect. The ever-reliable Scott Mason, where can people find you on social, and what do you have coming up on Play Like a Jet? So we'll talk a lot about where the Jets are, where they're heading, the matchup against the Dolphins this week. A lot going on, (laughs) some of it good, most of it kind of ugly. So if you're a petty Bills fan, it might be fun for you to tune in just for comedy purposes. At Play Like a Jet 1 on Twitter, uh, you can go to playlikeajet.com. we got the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel, The Thunder from Down Under, Luke Grant, putting together some film there. Uh, we've got the daily podcast. We're going to be doing Know Your Foe. Drew was on last week to break down the bills, so we'll do that with the Dolphins. Uh, we, we like to do a pregame report, which a lot of people enjoy because uh, we get some good tips on there. We do a lot of the over-unders and the prop bets and stuff and, and last-minute news and injury report. And then Walter Cherpinski from WalterFootball.com comes on and gives his uh, picks of the week, which he's actually really good. He's been a finalist in a lot of these major contests, so it's well worth tuning in just for that. And then throughout the week, we'll, we'll do some film. We'll talk about keys to the game. We'll do a midweek news report. We do the post game right after the game. So every day, seven days a week, fresh content, brand new show, rain or shine, 365 days a year. As I'm fond of saying, this is probably why I'm this close to the loony bin. And uh, gentlemen, as always, a pleasure. Uh, Good luck to the Bills going forward because it's either them or the Patriots. And I don't think I need to tell you that my sympathies lie with you guys over the Patriots. I've had enough of them over the last bunch of years. And quite frankly, I would like to see uh, Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels, and Mac Jones up on the shoulders of the late road warrior animal as the late road warrior hawk jumps off the top rope and flattens him to the ground with the doomsday device. And so moving up the AFC East ladder, we come to probably, Chris, is it fair to say the most surprising outcome of any game of any team in the AFC East this past week? What about last night? (sighs) Nothing compared to the Miami Dolphins. The Ravens, they, they, you guys pummeled the Ravens 22-10, to 10, and here to, I think, puff his chest out and crow about it a little bit is Mr. Alfartiaga. How are you, sir? Uh, doing very, very well. <laughs> after, after, after what's been a pretty dismal season, watching your defense come to life in that game, how much did it do for you as just a lover of good football? <laughs> Yeah, it was it, first of all, it was a lot of fun watching that that defense implement a game plan, a risky game plan, and just you know implement it to the perfection. Really, like that's as as good a defense, not this defense, any defense can play. Really, um, how many three and outs were there? Seven three and outs. Mm-hmm. They they almost forced four fumbles. They sacked them four times. They pressured them 28 times. They blitzed them 41 times. So, well, you yes, look at the numbers. Was, the numbers speak to the damage that your front seven in tandem with those well-timed safety blitzes. Jackson, at one point halfway through the third quarter, had 118 yards passing. Hey, Bill yep. Barnwell, if you're listening to this, you can suck it. 
Forgot we were blocked and by him. Yeah, no, no. He, and he, he blocked us. Elf, you may not know. He, he blocked blo- me, too. He blocked uh, us. Bill Barnwell blocked me, too. But that, he blocked me because uh, I called him out on him making up stats like five years ago on ESPN. See, and he didn't take too kindly to it when I when I posted it on Twitter. So he tried to wreck us. But little does he know that I run like like six or seven different accounts, so I see all the bullshit he posts. So. <laughs> See, yeah, block the blank, block us all. You know. What see, I mean? I'm too, I'm too lazy for burner accounts. But here's what I love: he tried to destroy us. We went back and forth. He put out some bullshit, a bullshit quote about how the Bills would be a Super Bowl contender in 2020 if they had Lamar Jackson. And I said, "Well, Bill, here's some analysis I did from 2019 and 2018, and it shows that Josh Allen's a better thrower to wide receivers than Lamar Jackson is by a dramatic margin. One of them is a better passer, and one of them is not." And he literally quote tweeted it and tried to almost like he was going to try to embarrass us. Not only did it increase our following, but then as we kept going back and forth over it, I called him out on the fact that, like, listen, I know you don't do your own analytical research. You have interns that you kind of crib their notes to do this stuff. And he didn't like that. And yet that didn't get us blocked. It was the fact that I finally just made fun of his sideburns once. I was like, ah, you're balding, but keep sideburns? That's ridiculous. It's like an elevator. It's like having a staircase to nowhere. Like, what are you doing? What's better is uh, you should should have made fun of his teeth. And his, uh, well, see, how's uh, a glass over here? How's a glass, sir? I, my, my, my teeth are beyond British. It's like British and Australian got together and had a party. Yeah, but that mouth. guy's on TV all the time, okay? Like, he should take care of his teeth. But either also way, his, his, that Lamar Jackson his wardrobe, his wardrobe is embarrassing, by the way. I, so. I love that we're just, we could do a whole podcast just punching down oh, on I Bill Barnwell. I despise Bill Barnwell. <laughs> see, Bill I like you. Go fuck himself. Really. I, I love I you him. even more, Alf. <laughs> but so, what I loved about this is that in a week where Josh Allen went absolutely bananas. Lamar Jackson had 118 yards passing against a defense that Josh Allen has pretty soundly beaten up over the years. The team, though. Not this, this was, year, though. Not this year. Yeah. We seem to have figured him out. Now, this was the team. This was the, the best stat, though, for me. 94 total rushing yards allowed. Zero rushing touchdowns. That's only the third time that's happened to Baltimore all year. That anybody could come close to keeping them off the scoreboard from a rushing standpoint. That that underscores what a dramatic departure from what anybody else has thrown at them all year that the Dolphins were able to. And cook we also up. broke their, yeah, and and the Dolphin defense also broke their their vaunted one hundred yard rushing streak. Yes, which, which they tried to sneak in there. Who who was it against that they played against? Denver. Where they were at ninety eight yards and they ran it for no reason. It was Denver at the end of the game. Yep, it was against Denver. Denver. Yes. So, with this dominating defensive performance, would you say that this is Flores' best called game of... I mean, it has to be, right? His best called game of 2021. Easily. Although, he won't take credit for it. He says that Josh Boyer called all the plays. Although, I'm staring at him on the screen. He has a play sheet. He says that means nothing, <laughs> that he has all three play sheets in his hand. But I'm also watching Josh Boyer calling the, doing the personnel grouping. So, if you're doing the personnel groupings, you're not calling the plays. It's, imp- it's impossible to do both, right? <laughs> Yeah, but he's trying to be a so, good boss. He's trying to be like, look, I kind of took this over. And, 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 it's, and it's interesting that you see a marked difference from what you've been seeing defensively from Miami to all of a sudden maybe, and maybe this is his way of, I mean, I've seen this. Chris, we talked about it before. Uh, Sean McDermott with Josh Allen in 2018. It was game two of the season, and we, we had just gotten throttled by Baltimore. We were in the process of getting our teeth kicked in in our home opener against the Chargers. And at halftime, Sean McDermott took over play-calling duties. 
And obviously the media made a big deal out of it. And he downplayed it and just said, look, you know, it was a collaborative effort. I wasn't taking it over. I was just assuming a little more control, blah, blah, blah. Leslie Frazier is fine. He's in great shape. But you saw the defense get better the second they started calling those plays. I'm interested to see if this becomes a trend where Flores becomes more involved and if we do start to see a continuation of what we got out of the Miami defense because I'll tell you, it was just your front seven gap sound for the first time seemingly all season. You guys had linebackers and defensive linemen in the backfield consistently. Jalen Phillips, that's one of the first games I noticed him consistently over and over again, flashing and making plays, even if he wasn't the one getting on the stat sheet. Everybody in the front seven looked impressive. Oh, absolutely. And you got to understand, the one touchdown they did get, there was how many yards of, of penalties? 68 yards of penalties on a 90-yard drive. So, you know, that tells you all you need to know. And also, you know, for whatever reason, we stopped playing on that on that play where they threw the touchdown to Andrews. But Javon Holland, has, he's been coming on all season long to the point where we're kind of singing his praises going forward from here on in. It's, you know, Javon Holland, I think, is turning into a budding star, really. He makes these kind of plays every single week. He was all over the place against the Ravens. And the defense is essentially just playing as designed. If you look at the numbers, Jason Sarney, who's a member of Dolphins Twitter, he has his own podcast, I believe. So I'm not going to promote his podcast, <laughs> but he calculated the numbers and over the like the last four weeks, yes, they're in the top five in almost every single defensive category. But the work they've done over the last four weeks has also uh, has also lifted them in a lot of categories where they were top three in last year: in quarterback hits, quarterback pressures, turnovers created. They're top five in all three of those categories now. And they're about mid-pack on third down when they used to be top five. So they're trending in the right direction. See, and, and this is the thing. If you were getting that, t- and I think we talked about it earlier in the year, too, that there was games there where you could see the defense was, you know, obviously like that first Bills game. There's nothing you can do about that. I mean, you gave up 35 points, but how much of that is a byproduct of not moving the football? <laughs> Exposing your defense to drive after drive after drive, just gassing them. Uh, just... The defense was doing okay, and I think they would have been better with more offense, which is why that side of the ball and what unfolded on Thursday night is hilarious to me. I I mean, you got to love what you saw from the coaches in this game, but what the fuck was that Brissette Tua nonsense to start the game? Is Tua actually hurt, or is this, like, are they just trying to gaslight the fan base at this point? Well, uh, Tua actually says that, that he has a broken middle finger, and supposedly he has a fracture on his middle finger. But the problem is the all the excuses that the coaching staff made. Brian Flores said that Tua couldn't make all the throws, but here's the problem. A 70% Tua is better than a 100% Jacoby Brissett. So Brissett starts this game, and he's as bad as advertised. And then all of a sudden you see that he gets injured, and they go to Tua, And all of a sudden, the offense looks like an NFL offense, all of a sudden. And actually, Tua outplays Brissett considerably, which is expected. On deep passing, with a broken hand, this is what blows my mind. With a broken hand, everyone goes, oh, well, he can't play, but it's it's too painful for him to get in there. We're worried about his ability to grip the ball and throw it the way. He was two for two for 99 yards on deep passes. 
It's like, what? what? <laughs> yeah. you, if, if your hand is so broken that you can't start a game, how is it that you can throw that pass and yet the guy who started over you, like, that's a throw he'll never make. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Th- that decision-making really kind of flummoxed me, and it, it became almost, I mean, obviously everyone in the glow of the win for me as an outsider, you know, maybe it gets lost in some of that, but for me as an outsider, I look at it and I go, that performance by Tua in the second half to navigate what should have probably been a loss if Brissett continues to play for four quarters, it, like, it almost makes it look more glaring. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Just to, to leave him in there. And now you got to look at the coaching staff and go, look, we want to have faith in what you're doing here. But all you do is create more questions. Yes, this team, if you if you look at everything, if you step away from it and you look at how they've built the team, how they manage players, for whatever reason, and we kind of know the reason because look at the head coach. He's a, he's a defensive-oriented guy. Look at the work that they've done drafting and building up the roster on the defensive side of the ball. It's been damn near perfect. They've used two first-round picks, Christian Wilkins, Jalen Phillips. They've used two second-round picks, Javon Holland, Raekwon Davis. They've used some free agent dollars, Emmanuel Ogba, Zach Sealer. That's spectacular work, okay? Byron Jones, Eric Rowe. Look at all the hits that they've had in free agency and in the draft. Then you turn over to the offense, and it's just been one disaster after another. Everybody's either injured or they've, they've done some horrible evaluation. And now you, the way you're managing this quarterback is kind of laughable it's kind of clownish really when you get down to it he finally relented and he said okay he's starting against the jets because if he if he wouldn't have started against the jets you know you would have had just a full-blown riot down here but you know well, i was gonna say this it's win been a brought disaster back. on one side of the ball and competency on the other which is i guess it's it's better not than, it's better than what you when you've been eating crow you know a tuna fish sandwich tastes pretty good right <laughs> Like yeah. that's, that, that's where you guys are now. And I guess that's the thing is when you look at the big picture, the Jets and just a week they had and what they probably have in store for them for the rest of the NFL season, you look at Miami and you say, okay, well, you, you did this. You showed us what you can be when you guys can put together and execute a cohesive game plan. When you're playing a team that, for all the love that gets heaped at Lamar Jackson's doorstep, I'm not saying he's a terrible NFL. Fan. I think that most weeks, we can say it like this: he is a he's a phenomenal football player. Is he a, a a great quarterback? Probably not. He's an adequate quarterback, a passer of the football. He'll get you by, and his athleticism buys him some opportunities that other teams, like other quarterbacks, don't get just because people have to respect his rushing ability. But make no mistake, he's one of the better football players on the field every single week. So to see that you guys could go into a game where it was expected that they were going to mop up, and by almost a full score, I believe, was the line going into the game, and that you guys were going to put on a performance like that, and you look at what's left on the docket coming coming next, and now you guys are going to get to go up against the Jets, you're looking at, okay, we could be a four-win team. We could be a five-win team. Now, obviously, the ceiling for 2021 was set a lot higher during the offseason. When everybody th- said, okay, this is our year, we're going to take the next step. <laughs> Having reevaluated that, but in the shadow of that win on Thursday night, what do you think is a reasonable expectation 
over, like, let's say the next month of football for the Dolphins? Well, in the next four games, they're favored to win three out of the next four, and they're pick them against the Carolina Panthers. Okay? So, but that game is at home. And they don't leave Miami for almost an entire month after they come back from New York after playing the Jets. So that's four games that they should win. That takes them to 7-7 seven and seven with three games to go in the season and should put them dead in the middle of the playoff race. That's the expectation. I don't think it's asking too much to go out and beat teams that you're favored against. And that's what they have in front of them. It's, Just go out and beat teams that you're going to be favored against. That's as simple as that. It's cr- Chris, how crazy is it that we're talking about the Miami Dolphins who lost their quarterback in week two for multiple weeks, who got shut out, who have like lost interdivision games pretty badly against the Buffalo Bills. So all the top teams that are in the AFC right now have a trash loss. All of them. Yeah. So it's crazy to me that we're talking about Miami still at this point, after everything that's happened, at least they have a shot, right? They still have a shot at being in that. You know, when you see the in the hunt graphic, yeah. they have a shot at being included in where there. we used to be <laughs> after just what, what has been a nightmare season. And the two things, one that's it's incredible, I guess, and it speaks to just how just wonky football has been here in 2021. And also, it worries me because I know a lot of people aren't very fond of the job that Chris Greer and Brian Flores are doing. If they find themselves deep enough in the hunt, let's say by week 14, week 15, it looks like they're probably outside, but they're still knocking on the door. It's probably enough to save their job and their staff's job, correct? Absolutely. And the thinking down here, and, you know, I don't have any inside information on this. I just have it on, like, it's a very, very well-educated guess, I would say, that Brian Flores is going to stay on for the next two years. He's going to stay on for the rest of his contract. That's my thinking. Now, as far as Chris Greer, you know, I would bet that he probably gets a quote-unquote promotion, like (laughs) up to VP, meaning meaning he loses his job and they hand the job to Marvin Allen. <laughs> like, that's a, a distinct possibility. But, you know, you still have that Deshaun Watson thing lingering in the air for the, the offseason. And who knows? If, if they make a real run at it, let's say they win these four games. They're 7-7. Seven and seven, And let's say they just miss out of the playoffs at 9-8. and eight. I could see how they could convince themselves. Although, you know, to be fair, the problem with this team is that offensive line and the lack of a running game. You can't go out there and try to beat teams with half a team. Right? No, no, God. No. I could see how they could convince themselves. They go get Deshaun Watson, all problems are solved. Like I could see how that's that'll be the thinking come February first or the league. The new league year is November what? I mean March ninth, right? March ninth, I believe. Something like that. So, sometime yeah. in March. Yeah, I think it's March 9th and March 11th this year. One of those two dates is the new league year, which is the first day they can trade for Deshaun Watson. I could see how they could convince themselves, yep, we're just an elite quarterback away. And maybe they're right, but they need an offensive line. This offensive line is putrid. This running game is is laughable. And all those great wide receivers that they had, none of them play. So if if they don't play, they can't be good, right? For all of Wolfo's going well, seven weeks with a broken finger, and for all of our listeners who just absolutely hate the fact that I come on this podcast and I talk positively about former Alabama quarterbacks, here's something I'll say: If the Dolphins are in the hunt a month from now, 
like with this offensive line, with this lack of playmakers, isn't that more an indictment of the rest of that offensive staff more so than the quarterback himself? <laughs> like it would have to be at that point. And and, mm-hmm. and I'll say this: nothing makes me laugh harder now than the visual of Chris Greer. Like I, I can just picture how the meeting would go. He'd be in his office. Stephen Ross would come in. Maybe even Dan Marino would be there because they want to make it seem like a good thing. They'd come in and they'd be like, Chris, we got some great news. We got this new position for you. You're going to take over as the VP of operations. You've been promoted. Congratulations. They have a platform. They're shaking his hand. There's people there to take pictures. And he's like, okay, well, what are my responsibilities? And they say, we're glad you asked. And they pull out a giant mason jar filled with bees. And they were like, we just want you to watch these. Okay, just we're going to put them on a table in here. You're just going to come over here and watch them and take notes. <laughs> Who do I give the notes to? It doesn't matter. Just just watch the bees in the jar. <laughs> just just report back. Like once a quarter, we'll come ask you how it's going. <laughs> Occasionally, we'll show you in the box on game days. It'll be cool. You'll get on TV. But get the hell away from all the scouting processes. <laughs> I, I can just. I, and I yeah, love, he's that's, a, uh, that's pretty much how it will go. Yeah. <laughs> You know, if but you know, it's 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 a head scratcher. It really is a head scratcher. You know how you can do the work that they've done on the defensive side of the ball, where they they seem to hit on every single pick. Like you know, where are the the misses? The misses are sixth round picks and seventh round picks. Like okay, fine. They drafted Curtis Weaver in the sixth round and and he sucked. Okay, great. But it's a sixth round pick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like who cares? Every other pick, every top you know, every top one hundred pick they used on the defensive side of the ball. Has been an absolute hit. <laughs> they found Zach Sealer off the scrap heap, and you know how much I like Zach Sealer. I think oh, Zach yeah. one of the best, one of the best ten defensive tackles in football. He made some he just, splash he, plays. Just, he made some plays against Baltimore that really like. That's the first time I've ever sat down and noticed Zach Sealer because I was like, wait, this is that guy that Elf talks about all the time. So I kind of kept my eye on him. He makes some really impressive plays for a defensive, for a big dude like that. He moves really well, and he's just like a bar of soap. I I just I like I like that. I like when a guy can get big, can eat some blocks, and at the same time can just kind of slip slip in, <laughs> slip in, divert a running back, threaten to divert a running back, make a quarterback kind of get happy feet or think that hey maybe that guy's going to squirt through here. That's impressive to me. Yeah, the yeah Zach Sealer. Zach Sealer makes all the plays that Kristen Wilkins makes. The problem with Zach Sealer is that he doesn't dance around like <laughs> Kristen Wilkins. So Kristen Wilkins gets himself noticed. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's, but it, he's just as good. Like he's just as good as Kristen Wilkins. No. And Wilkins, you'll see this year if they continue on on this trajectory, they're going to put Kristen Wilkins in in the Pro Bowl, and the one who probably deserves it is Zach Sealer. <laughs> Well, next week against the spread, you guys are two and a half point favorites. I think that's about fair. Although after this last, I mean, <laughs> after this last week, do you send agree? it in? <laughs> do you would do, do would send you, it in? Would you take Miami minus two and a half? I take Miami minus uh, twenty five and a half. Uh, they should if they're going to be if they're going to live up to their expectations, they should dust this team off <laughs> on Sunday. Well, Zach can- Wilson or no Zach Wilson? I believe he's playing too. 
I'll tell you so, what, Mike White. Don't be afraid of. They should not be afraid of expectations. I'll tell you what, Mike White. After seeing our secondary, he's probably still in the fear bunker. I wouldn't be shocked if they put Zach Wilson out there just because of the PTSD Mike White has today. But <laughs> with that, with that in mind, where can people find your upcoming podcast and your preview of the uh, Miami Jets, Miami vs. Jets, and where can they follow you personally on social? Because your tweets make me laugh a lot. Yeah, you can follow me at Alf underscore Artiaga. And, of course, our Twitter account is the number three yards per carry. And you can find our podcast wherever you get your podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So on the second place in the AFC East, by an th- incredibly, ridiculously thin margin, the New England Patriots, who beat the Browns, I mean, it... They didn't just beat them. They didn't just beat them. I think you guys ended their season. 45-7, to seven, Mike DeBate from Lockdown Patriots, here to talk to us about it. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty well, especially after Sunday's game. Uh, you know, the New England Patriots are riding the era of good feelings up here in Foxborough. And quick turnaround time with the Falcons coming up on Thursday night. But, uh, yeah, good stuff. Other than that, uh, you know, doing pretty well. And personally doing pretty well, too. So that's always good. Well, that's good. Personally, I'm really happy for you. Uh, professionally <laughs> and in terms of the team, I <laughs> you you know. You, you know what it is. I, I'm looking. Yeah, actually, at, that you do is kind of a little bit better of a reaction than I thought I was going to get. So I'll take that <laughs> See, if you weren't such a nice guy, I might cuss a little bit more. But ah, you don't deserve that kind of abuse. I'll say, I'll save that for nah, guys let like the expletives fly. It's I, all good. I'll save that for Christian <laughs> Simonelli. He's the he's the guy I like. To, <laughs> no, he he's a good cat too. When I looked at this ah, game, sounds good. That's, I, that's a good dude right there. I kept kicking over like I'm I, I'm watching this game because I have the mix on one TV. I have the Bills game on the other TV, but I'm keeping my eye on the Patriots game. Hate watching. And it, it looks and in my head, I'm conflicted. I go, I don't know who I want to win this more because I hate Cleveland. There's the mistake on the lake. There's the factory of sadness. Like, this is what they do. But also, I don't want no like I'd like somebody to beat New England just so they're not nipping at our heels. And then as the game wears on, I just like at this point you have to abandon all hope if you're even as a casual watcher who is sort of rooting for Cleveland. You held Mayfield to eighty-three yards on twenty-one attempts. That's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> I did you guys first of all just an overarching question? Do you think that you guys just ended the Browns season? <laughs> well, 
yeah, I don't know about ending their season. Look, you know what? I think it's more accurate to say the Patriots put a lot more life back into their own season rather than ending someone else's. I don't know what's going to happen with the Browns or what you know they're going to be able to rebound from. They've had a lot of issues this year. OBJ, that situation was up and down, roller coaster ride. Looked like they really had uh, a lot of motivation against the Bengals. Beat them pretty handily and then came in here and laid an egg against the Patriots. And the Patriots played very well, so really it was a perfect storm of a team that just did not have their A game and a team that absolutely did have their A game. But moving forward, this is a game where the Patriots are going to look back on it and say, we dominated in all three phases. They really haven't been able to say that all season long. And for them to put forth the effort that they did against a defense that boasts, you know, someone like a Miles Garrett, um, you know, I mean, the, the Malik Twins, I mean, there's a lot of different areas where this team could have come in and made things very difficult on the Pats. Uh, the Pats really were able to uh, weather the storm and not only take it, but then give it right back as equally as effective. So what was your defense doing that smothered their offense so effectively? I mean, no passes of more than 20, 20 yards allowed. It, it was just, it was a drubbing. Well, what they're doing, what the Patriots are doing defensively and what's working so well is that front seven has gelled so much since the beginning part of the season. You've got guys like Dietrich Wise Mm. Jr. who is setting the edge and playing very well on the edge, getting after the quarterback. Um, I I believe he had two sacks on Sunday, uh, a lot of quarterback pressures. I don't have the statute in front of me, but quarterback pressures, quarterback hurries. He's getting after it, and that's allowing guys like uh, Christian Barmore, who has been tremendous, about him last week i've had nothing but glowing things to say about him and i continue to simply because he's that type of player that has been so good at pushing the pocket getting after the passer but also in the run game as well he's allowed devon Godchow, he's allowed the uh lawrence guy to be able to you know set their tone in the middle part of that defensive line and really help to stuff the run then you got matt judon back in the linebacking crew that's really getting after the quarterback he's flying all over the place and really one of the more active members of that defense juan bentley dante hightower they're in the middle they're being able to take on the team's rushing abilities and help to stop the run in the backfield you said no passes more than 20 yards they're looking at guys like jc jackson who's taken away the deep threat he's on their uh, you know primary uh, weapon whoever that may be on a given sunday he's going to be responsible for taking that guy out of the equation but they're also getting contributions in the slot from miles bryant and the safeties have been tremendous whether it be devin mccourty adrian phillips or kyle duggar these guys are always in the vicinity of pass catching running backs and they're able to shut down the tight end so when you're clicking on all three levels on defense that's a tough defense to be able to score points on patriots were clicking on all cylinders on sunday it's not always going to be like that but when they're on their game like they were on sunday it's a tough defense to stop no and i and i guess chris if i'm being honest didn't we all kind of expect the patriots defense to rebound yeah i mean you, you, you had to you say look Bilicek is this is what he's done throughout the course of his career. He's made I don't know. He's he's made hay with even mediocre talent. So when you bring back the influx of talent from last year, early on it looked a little bit rough, but you can see that they're acclimating and that maybe he's acclimating a little bit to the talent on hand. Nobody game plans like Bill Belichick. And I'm disgusted to say it, but that's where we are. Now, on the offensive side of the ball, this is where it gets interesting for me, because there's a matriculation of this offense. 
it's still a run-heavy game plan, but the passing game is starting to show a little bit more. I mean, four touchdown passes. That's a career high for Matt Jones. And at the <laughs> same time, I'm looking at this. When I've look, when you look back at the yardage he put up, people are used mm-hmm. to seeing him throwing. In that giant win over the Panthers, he had 122 yards. You guys lose to the Dallas Cowboys. He throws for 215. 268, 268, 295, and 403. Usually, if he has to throw early on in the season, when he had to throw for more yardage, it was in a loss. It was in a losing effort. Mm. The last two times that he's had to throw the, throw the ball, it's worked. What's what has this development in the passing game like? What's changed from week one to now? It's more of a balanced attack. Basically, what the Patriots are doing is they're utilizing the running game to be able to open up play action for the passing game. And that's where Mac Jones is at his best. His whole thing with getting drafted by the New England Patriots, everybody was singing his praises. Oh, he's going to come in here and he's going to fit in perfect. He's that dink and dunk quarterback that the Patriots love to employ. The guys that run this system are guys that are, you know, they're predicated on that quick passing game, pick up the pre-snap read. They're able to get the ball out of their hands quickly, deliver it accurately on time and to a receiver, uh, you know, where only the receiver can get it. What Mac Jones is doing differently now because he's got the support of a solid running game is he's able to take a little more chances he's not just putting it where only the receiver can get it he's putting it where the receiver can get it and get yards after the catch that's a big distinction not a lot of people realize that there is a big difference between putting it where only the receiver can catch it and putting it where the receiver can catch it and make something happen beyond that. Patriots have always been a very big team with yards after the catch, and they've employed wide receivers that do that, not necessarily the biggest names that jump off the page. Here up in New England, a lot of fans were absolutely disgusted that they didn't make a gigantic push for Odell Beckham Jr. But when you look at how this team is predicated, they're not predicated on the big play, the deep threat. They've got a guy like Nelson Aguilar that can give you a deep threat every now and then, but it's not their bread and butter. It's the short intermediate passes that are really getting the job done, and that's why you're seeing guys like Jacoby Myers. You're seeing someone like a Kendrick Bourne who had a phenomenal game on Sunday and really like a Hunter Henry at tight end who's really become not only a great friend of Mac Jones but a really good battery mate when it comes to those two. Uh, You're seeing shades of what Brady and Gronk used to do, and I'm not saying that they're at that level, guys, not even close, not yet, but they're developing that type of relationship. Go back as far as Bledsoe Coates and guys that, you know, really had a a very strong quarterback tight end relationship. You're starting to see that bud with Mac Jones and Hunter Henry. So that's what's changed. It's essentially, it's a more balanced attack. And really it comes down to more solid play from the offensive line. Mac has got more time to make his decisions, pick his targets. Early on, he was throwing like a chicken with his head cut off. He was constantly running from pressure, making a lot of throws, getting rid of the ball very quickly because he was under duress. He doesn't have to do that anymore. That offensive line is a lot more short up. Oh, for sure. And it sticks out in the numbers. I mean, for Bills fans listening to this who think that I'm just because, Mike, I take a lot of shit from people who listen to this show because they go, oh, Drew just loves Alabama quarterbacks and he just he's, <laughs> he's pounding the table for a guy he saw play in college. Here's what I see. When I look at the success of this offense, I go, well, guys, we all know the Bills suck at running the ball. They're starting to find a little bit of success when they get creative, but it's never been a strong suit of theirs. 
Well, this Patriots team has three games where they've rushed for less than 120 yards. Three. They've rushed for more than 120 in every other game this season. And when you look at the recent four-game winning streak, the formula stands out in the statistics. Every single game, 148, 142, 151, and 184 on the ground to coincide with nine defensive turnovers during that stretch. That's that's it. You ground and pound, you play tough defense, and then you as an offense just distribute the ball and make them work for it when you do throw the ball. That's it. That's that's their recipe for winning. It's It's not explosive on the offensive side of the ball, but when you're playing the type of defense that they are and when your offensive line can sustain a rushing attack like that, it wins you football games. And it's a reason that you guys are now neck and neck with the Buffalo Bills for for the division's top spot. All offseason we've been having all season we've been having you on the show. You've routinely said that you still think that the division flows through Buffalo. Has that changed any in your mind now seeing the matriculation of this Patriots team, the growth of the offensive line, the rushing attack? Have you maybe softened your stance on that? Uh, I don't want to say soften my stance. Do I believe the Patriots have a better shot today than I did two weeks ago, two months ago? Yeah, I do. I think they do have a better shot. I think they're playing better football than anyone really imagined that they would. And even though I thought this team had a chance to contend for a playoff spot and maybe turn some heads, I think they're playing at a level that even I didn't really see coming, uh, you know, as much as I have been told that I look through things through a Foxborough filter, but this team is is really, I think, exceeding expectations and in a good way. But that being said, I still think this division flows through Buffalo. I still think Buffalo is still the superior team on offense, on defense. I think they still have, um, you know, that ability to take over a game that Right now, I think the Patriots are still aspiring to. The Bills have been there before. You know, Ric Flair says to beat the man, you got to to be the man. You got to beat the man. Right now, Buffalo is the man. They've been there before. They took toe to toe with the defending AFC champs a couple of years ago. When you look at the Kansas City Chiefs and and the defending Super Bowl champions a couple of years ago, that team is well built to be able to go deep into the playoffs. So still think Buffalo is the class of this division, but uh, the Patriots are going to make things interesting down the stretch uh, because this team is not a team that's going to go away anytime soon either. No, it's, it's, it's fucking frustrating. So this next week, I wish I could say you were playing someone that, okay, maybe this week they'll they'll get derailed. Chris, they're playing your hometown favorites. I hate Atlanta. (laughs) Chris Chris lived in Atlanta for so long and he hates the Falcons. Why? Because it's a fair-weather fan base. All of the Atlanta sports are. Why? What what do you think drives that? Well, it's because Atlanta's a transient city. Everybody moves from Boston, Buffalo, New York City, Chicago. And when they move south, they move to Atlanta. You, when I would go to Thrasher games, it, the Atlanta Thrashers, the Atlanta NHL? Thrashers, and the I don't know if you guys remember the Atlanta Thrashers NHL. Even if I would mm-hmm. go to, to a Nashville Thrashers game, more Nashville fans. When Montreal would come into town, it was like eighty-five, fifteen. <laughs> it's just everybody, everybody moves from somewhere else, and it's always. It's never a home game for any Atlanta team. So what you're saying is this road road game for the Patriots, where they're what five and a half point favorites. Now? They're at Atlanta. It's going to be a it's going to be the 
Foxborough in a dome. Do you agree or disagree? <laughs> do you agree or disagree with the five and a half point spread on the road against the against the Atlanta Falcons? Yeah, I agree with it. Usually I'm a little more conservative when it comes to point spreads, and I'll say, uh, I think that's a little generous. I think that's, you know, Atlanta's the hometown team. Look, but if Atlanta is able to suit up Cordero Patterson, right now he has limited practice on when, on Tuesday. We're not sure what's going to happen on Wednesday. We're hearing from Tom Pelissero of NFL Network that Cordero may not be able to go in this game. If he doesn't, that's really going to limit what Matt uh, Ryan can do offensively on this team. Already missing Calvin Ridley. You look at what they're going to be able to do now in the running game. That puts a lot of pressure on Mike to be able to come in and try to quell the storm a little bit and maybe try to give you a little bit of what Cordero Patterson can give you with the running back slash wide receiver position. But he's a backup. That's going to be tough for them to do that. Also, uh, Kyle Pitts is going to now be in the crosshairs of Bill Belichick. And you know from your experience of watching this team, what do the Patriots do? They take away what you do well. They're going to focus on whatever your strength is. We saw them do it on Sunday to Cleveland and Miles Garrett. That was their strength. That defensive player of the year was the guy that had to be taken out of the game. And Bill Belichick used some unorthodox players to do it. Guys like Isaiah Wynn, Nikhil Harry, doing a lot of blocking and taking Miles Garrett out of the game. If Kyle Pitts is going to be the person that the Patriots have to zero in on to take away, they're going to find guys to do it. And they have the safety core to be able to do it. And Adrian Phillips, Kyle Duggar, maybe even Devin McCourty chipping in. Miles Bryant, J.C. Jackson, all these guys could see time on him. So it's going to be difficult for Atlanta to get in a rhythm without Patterson. Never really realized just exactly how vital watching on Atlanta this week. Uh, it really does uh, look like a, a difficult matchup for them to be able to succeed. That being said, it's a tough turnaround. It's a short turnaround. Anything can happen. So nothing would shock me on Thursday. It's not a slam dunk for the Patriots, but they're well suited to be able to win this game if they can play the way they're capable of playing. The always humble Mike Debate. <laughs> Where can people find you on Twitter? Where can they find your work, sir? Uh, you can always find me on the Bird app, as my good friend and mentor Mark Schofield would say, at M-D-A-B-A-T-E-N-F-L. You can find all my written work at Patriot Maven of Sports Illustrated. A lot of game day content, pre-game day content coming up there. And, of course, each and every day on the Locked On Patriots podcast at LO underscore Patriots. Free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Scott Mason, Alf Artiaga, Mike Debate, three of the best in the AFC East. Just like the fabulous Freebirds. I, are you ever going to run out of these? No. This is ridiculous. No, huge. Like the Freebirds. Yeah. Like that's the dumbest name for a bunch of dudes who are about to go out and commit physical combat. Well, it's the South, so it works. That is true. I can just hear somebody from the back yelling out, Freebird! <laughs> yeah, NWA. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That brings us to the Buffalo Bills, who beat the Jets 45-7. to Guys, the Patriots are not going away. Their schedule is pretty soft from here on out. They've got a couple hurdles, but I don't know the way they're playing right now. They're playing a brand of football that's built to sustain them. And that's a reality that we as fans need to accept. But beyond that, there's a broader reality. We still, despite losing to Jacksonville, might be one of the best teams in the AFC, regardless of whether or not we're in the running for the number one seed. New England certainly is well-coached, physical, and has a lot going for them. 
But Buffalo has proven quarterback execution and ability. Proven top-flight defensive play. Proven ability to win late in the season when it counts. There isn't another team that has that and can combine our smothering style of defensive play with an offense that has too many weapons for almost any defense to cover and a quarterback who's just as likely to throw a 35-yard deep cross on a rope as he is to take off, shove your linebacker to the ground, and maybe jump over one of your slot cornerbacks and pick up 20 yards based off nothing but will and desire to win. If you look around the NFL, I don't know who else has that or who hasn't been burned by what has become one of the strangest rock-paper-scissors-style seasons I can remember. Chris, almost every single team that is either in the lead for their division or is in a prominent spot in their conference, every one of them has some loss that makes you step back and go, wait a minute, maybe they do suck. Right? Yeah. 12 teams in the AFC with a winning record. That's the largest ever at this point in an NFL season. That tells you there's no middle ground. Just a bunch of teams with inflated records beating up on bad teams and varying skill sets. Let's run it down. Look at Cleveland. Cleveland is essentially limping its way down the stretch, and everything Browns fans had enjoyed about their team is covered with shit and on fire. Uh, The quarterback has knee and shoulder injuries. Their running backs are banged up and COVID infected. OBJ went from wide receiver one to wide receiver three to wide receiver not on the fucking team anymore. I've had it with this dump. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. The factory of sadness continues to operate at maximum efficiency. (laughs) The Ravens decimate AFC West opponents in LA and Denver only to get slapped around by Cincy and Miami? Miami? Like, what? That what, You lost to a two-win team? Maybe you're not good. But then again, what can I say? I mean, but you look at the way they lost. Their offensive line has quietly been a problem all season, allowing the Dolphins' front seven to eat them alive and derail their offense... And offensively, they're lacking playmaking ability by the wide receiver position, thanks to the fact that Sammy Watkins is their wide receiver one. Chris, he's terrible. He's Des Bryant with an inflated resume. In fact, not even an inflated resume. What has Sammy Watkins done to make anyone think he's a star? I don't know. He's the fourth overall pick. That's about it. Upside that he can never live up to. Thanks to Kansas City, he has a ring. But Kansas City looks like they they look like they might be good again. But then again, every AFC West team came into this week with five wins. And they're still falling on their face while also playing some of the worst defensive football in the NFL. They're, the defenses in the AFC West are quietly some of the worst in football. Statistically, the Browns the, the, the Broncos are good. But then you look at who they played, and you go, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Your statistics are great. Statistically, you look good on paper, and then the Eagles come in and kick you in the teeth. Yeah, you're not a good football team. Meanwhile, the Bills rolled the Chiefs. You've got the Raiders, who can't stop a nosebleed. You've got the Chiefs, who are letting anybody score at least 25. 
What, what's happening here? Like, is that whole div- – did we overrate that whole division? I don't think we – no, because I don't think we expected the Broncos or the Raiders to have winning records at this point in the season. No. I mean, I guess that's – well, no, because – Chris, remember when you used to call Derek Carr elite? Yeah. Have you moved off that yet? No. He's – No. Well, look at look at the Raider franchise as a whole. How's their draft like? How's their drafting been to helping Derek Carr? Oh, we're going to take this Alabama guard in the first round that we could get in the second. We're going to take this other Alabama receiver who's just going to get a DUI. Oh, and then on defense, we're going to take this guy that loves threatening people and waving guns around on Instagram. <laughs> They haven't exactly drafted well. Mike Mayock is killing it. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it's not Mayock. We know those. I hope is- they keep him forever. I hope they give him a tenure. You extension. know it's not Mayock making those picks. It was Gruden. So if, if Mayock's going to be heading up this, oh, this draft this upcoming April, we know for sure that these are going to be Mayock picks. They're not going to be like the last couple drafts, which everyone knows. They're all Gruden picks. I hate you. I hate you know Gruden. I'm right. I hate I hate Gruden, Carr, Mayock, and you with that stupid haircut and your stupid defense of the Raiders. Ultimately, that whole division looks a lot softer than everyone thought they would at this point in the season based on how they started. The Titans are on top of the conference, despite narrowly beating us. And since losing Henry, they're 2-0, but their style of play might not be sustainable when it comes to good teams. Considering they went from embarrassing L.A. one game, based on the back of back-to-back, what, a pick six and an interception that got taken to the two-yard line? Yeah. Like, okay, great, so you scored on that. You barely survived the Saints thanks to a botched two-point conversion attempt. Chris, are you still good at that point? I mean, I get it. Best on the field every Sunday. Cool. Yeah. One two. All you got to do. How is, long can they keep this up? I don't. I don't know if they can keep it up every Sunday. But a part of me wonders if this isn't like what we talked about earlier in the week with the Mike White thing. You have three games in a new offensive structure. It takes defensive coaches time to figure out what it is you're doing that moves the chains. Then you will be figured out. But you will get figured out. And when it happens, you better have a pivot. And usually that involves elite talent or great coordinating. I don't know. I don't think they threat. I don't think as the Buffalo Bills, they threaten us in that regard. By the time we see them again, I feel like they'll will have a better handle on what it is they're bringing to the table. We almost had him in that game. Yeah. Meanwhile, the biggest thing to come out of this week for Buffalo is that unlike a lot of the teams that have to go into week 11 with more questions than answers, we already got to have our gut check moment. And you can see that this this team decided who they want to be. They have a defense that might be one of the NFL's best. And they're certainly the most opportunistic. They have an offense that when our offensive line lets Josh Allen operate and he's patient and he feels comfortable in the structure of the offense, just has too many weapons for opponents to account for all of them, whether it's on the ground, whether it's through the air, especially when Brian Dable is at his best and he's calling a hell of a game. Our offensive line isn't perfect or even great, but when they're healthy and have Brown's athleticism at right tackle, you see a more dynamic group that's capable of getting to the second level routinely and creating space for guys to make plays on the ground. 
And to be that opportunistically efficient offense that you ex- you expected them to be when we came into the season, based on how much they talked about it this offseason. Most of all, we have the quarterback playing the best football in the AFC. Hands down. Hands down. There is nobody else dealing like Josh Allen right now. The Buffalo Bills are the whole package. And as this week and a half showed, even Tom Brady is capable of losing to a losing football team. We seem to have turned a corner. We had our come to Jesus moment and decided that we would emphatically reverse course. So many of these other teams are still struggling through these, just I want to call them identity crises. Maybe just a lack of testicular fortitude. And have to figure out how to get by and what they're going to grow into. And a lot of them inevitably will not. The Raiders, Chris, the Raiders have been fading ever since their fast start to the season. You yeah, lost to I the think, Giants. I think, uh, you know they what? They lost 41 to 14 to the Chiefs. The Chiefs who were struggling to beat anybody who actually matters. The, the, uh, the Chiefs who lost to the Bills, the Chiefs who barely got by Green Bay with a backup quarterback, just took a shovel to the Raiders. Yeah, the Raiders had a great start. They came out of the gate, I'd say, going 156. Damn you! Wow! The Pettiest Bills podcast, folks. I don't know what you expect from us. They're struggling. They're a team that's bound to fade as this continues. And a lot of these other teams will, too. I'm happy knowing that we not only have the talent, but we also have the coaching to ensure that that what we have, all these things that I've just laid out that we have going for us, won't be wasted down the stretch of this season. And I can't wait because the next two weeks, that's the crux of our season. We get over this next two-week hump, I don't know who's going to stop us. We need to hit the ground running this week against the Colts, where we're a full touchdown favorite. I don't know that I like that spread. But there again, the Colts have allowed everybody to hang around. Close game after close game after close game because their defense can't shut the door the way it did last year. Do you agree or disagree with a seven-point spread, Chris? No, I think that's a little, a little rich. I think it's going to be a one-score game, but I'm not sure it would be the extra point included. Well, who's whose kicker do you trust, Tyler Bass or the Money Badger? Tyler Bass, he's the, probably the best kicker going right now in the NFL. Whose quarterback do you trust more, Josh, Josh Allen or Carson Wentz? But it goes. Whose wide receivers do you trust more, the Bills? Whose defense do you trust more, the Bills? Let's do this fucking thing. I can't wait. Enough of the talk. Just bring me Sunday. Bring me Sunday at the stadium. Oh, I can't wait. Guys, this has been a lot of fun. It's been great catching up with our AFC's counterparts, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your AFC's Roundup. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.